passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. Well, good morning again. Uh, Welcome to the Spencer campus at Crosswinds Church. Hope you had a a good, enjoyable, safe 4th of July weekend. And this morning, as we continue our sermon series on why work matters to God, uh, we have an exciting, uh, but also, I'm I'm just going to be completely honest with you, it's a a pretty difficult and uh, kind of unusual sermon topic for us to discover or to discuss as we uh, begin wrapping up our sermon series on the intersection of faith and work. And over the last two months, if you've been with us, you've seen that we've been looking at the ways that our faith influences our work or the the things that we do from nine to five, our our jobs, whether that is as a a stay-at-home mother or whether that is out in the workforce. And, And we've looked at this topic from many different angles. This morning, we're going to expound on something that we've talked about, we've touched on a couple times as we've been going through this series, uh, and that is that our work is one of the primary ways that we are able to love our neighbors. The stuff that we do in our jobs is one of the primary ways that we are able to love our neighbors. See, the reality is that God uses our work to love those who are around us. And and even more so is that God uses our work to bring glory to himself from those who are around us. You might be wondering, well, how, what exactly does that look like? And Jesus describes this in Matthew chapter 5 in one of the most famous passages of scripture, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And as he's going through this Sermon on the Mount, he has these very, very important words for all of life, but especially for us this morning. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. I invite you to follow along as I read this verse aloud. It says this, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. See, what Jesus is saying is that our good works, the good things that we do for others and around others, will eventually lead to worship for God our Father. When we do good works in front of others, it will lead them to honor God. That's the way God has set things up. It's a pretty sweet way how God has created and orchestrated things in this world. We do good works, God gets glory. As Christians, we want God to receive glory, don't we? We want him to be honored in our lives. So the million-dollar question for us is, what are good works? What are good works? Have you ever wrestled through that question? The Bible talks about good works a lot. It talks about works, and it talks about good works. And when it talks about works, it usually does so in a relatively negative light. And this is talking about the way that some of us Uh, Not necessarily in the church, but some people try to work their way to God. They try to earn their relationship or earn favor from God. And and what the Bible says is, yeah, that's not going to happen. That's not possible for us. But then it talks about good works. And when it talks about good works, it's referring to those that come as fruit of the Holy Spirit or an outflow of the Spirit that dwells within us as a result of our salvation through Christ Jesus. But what are good works? Many of us, when we think of good works, might just think of spiritual things. 
We think of Bible reading as a good work, attending church as a good work, or serving in the nursery as a good work. But is that all that God has in mind when he thinks of good works? Others of us don't just think of spiritual things, but we think of, well, the, the hard spiritual things, like fasting is a good work, or giving a lot of money to the church is a good work, or going on an international mission trip, or even becoming a missionary. Those are good works. But is that all that God has in mind when he talks about good works? Others of us, we think of good works as volunteer acts, the things that we do for others that we don't really have to do. So it includes, you know, serving with the church outreach team or mowing your neighbor's yard when they're out of town or helping your friend remodel their house. But is that all that God has in mind when he thinks of and talks about good works in the Bible? Let's turn to Scripture and see what Scripture says about what these good works are. In Titus chapter 3, verse 8, it says this, The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Notice how Paul describes good works, and and not just good works, but but all of the things here that he talks about, uh, about being careful to devote yourself to good works. He says that these good works are things that are excellent and that they are profitable for people. In other words, good works are excellent and profitable for us, for what they do to us, and they're excellent and profitable for those who we are helping or serving or being around at those times. So with this understanding of good works, it really broadens what a good work is. Yes, it includes the spiritual things we do, the hard things we do, the volunteer things we do, but it's so much more than that. Paul gives us a specific example in 1 Timothy chapter 5. It says this, and this is in the middle of a sentence, so, so we're just going to pick up in the middle of a sentence. He's talking to uh, women who are going to be placed on the widow role at the church. And this is their requirements for being on this role. It says this, and ha- they must have a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. And I want to just keep that up here for a few seconds because uh, it's really important for us to see where the colon is. I'm a grammar nerd, and I love this colon right here, because it makes it uh, tell us what the good works that she has been doing are. And so what are the good works that she has been doing? Well, she's been showing hospitality to others. She has been washing the feet of others or, or serving others. She has been caring for the afflicted. But what's the first thing? that Paul mentions as a good work that this woman has done? She has brought up children. According to Paul, motherhood is a good work. This is a specific example of what Titus chapter 3 is telling us, that good works are not just volunteer acts that we do. They're not just spiritual things that we do, but they are anything that, are, that is good and that is profitable for others while done in faith. See, the reality is your vocation, your calling is filled with opportunities for good works. This means if you are answering emails in a timely fashion, then that is a good work in God's eyes. If you are keeping your desk or your workspace clean, that is a good work in God's eyes. If you are vision casting while at work, that is a good work in God's eyes. 
Dan Cathy is the CEO of Chick-fil-A, and uh, he, he wanted to make sure his company understood this. So one time he shared this, uh, honestly, reinterpretation of uh, Matthew chapter 5. He said this, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your clean parking lots and glorify your God who is in heaven. Now, did Dan Cathy just commit blasphemy for changing the words of Scripture? Well, no. He's getting at the core or the the focus of what Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount. Our good works include the things that we do at work. Uh, A really challenging thing for us or a good way to apply this for us is to take Matthew chapter 5, verse 16 and substitute in your own calling to say, therefore... They might see your blank and glorify your Father in heaven. God receives glory from those who are around us when we do good works at work. Now, with that being said, as we talk about this calling to do good works at work, it it would make sense for us to try to be more productive at work. After all, if we're more productive, that means we're doing more good work. We're, we're doing more at work. We're being more effective at work, which is bringing more glory and more honor to God himself. Because our good works, while at work, are actually good works. The good work that we do at work is a good work in God's eyes. A productive, productivity today can be kind of a buzzword. Uh, there are thousands of books out there that talk about different ways that you can be productive. Uh, There are thousands of apps out there, it seems like, uh, which are supposed to help you be productive. And as Christians, we can rejoice. For if we are more productive at work, if we're more effective at work, that means that we are doing more good works and God is receiving more worship. So the question is, how can we be more productive at work? Or another way of putting this is, how can I get more done at work. Our culture has tried to answer this question for several years. Uh, one of the ways that we've tried to answer this is by working more. In the year 1969, uh, the average American worked 1,716 hours per year. That's just the average American. In the year 2000, the average American worked 1,878 hours per year. So over 150 more hours per year is what we started to do by the year 2000. Now, did this increase in a significant amount of time, over three hours per week at work, make us more productive? It didn't. Actually, statistics show that we are even less productive now than we were 30, 40 years ago. So that didn't work. Our culture has tried to bring in new technology or new processes that will make us more productive at work. But with all of this technology that we see, all of these different apps, all of these new processes that are out there, it still seems like something is lacking. So does God have anything to say about how we can be more productive at work and therefore give God more glory at work? Well, absolutely, otherwise we probably wouldn't be talking about this this morning. Uh, And that's what we're going to be exploring as we continue our, our time together. And to explore this conversation or this topic about productivity, effectiveness at work, we're going to first look at the problem that is facing us. After that, we're going to look at how the gospel solves this problem. And then we're going to look at the specific ways that the gospel is the solution. 
And then we're going to close with some specific application or some tangible application points for us as we try to be more productive in our work. And if you were to boil down our our conversation this morning about work and productivity, I think you could just say it in one sentence by saying this. Effective work is God-glorifying work. Effective work is God-glorifying work. Notice what I say there. I don't say efficient work. I say effective. I think a lot of times our culture tends to think of uh, productivity as efficiency, as getting more stuff done, but that's not the case. In order for us to be productive in a way that brings God glory, we need to make sure that we are effective in our work, not just efficient. An example of this, it would be far more efficient of my time on a Sunday morning if I just talked to every single person for 10 seconds and that was it. Just 10 seconds. I'd be able to check in with everyone, see how they're doing, and go from there. But that's not effective pastoral care. Effective pastoral care means that I will spend time talking to two, three, four families or individuals at a time instead of spreading my time out among others. Effectiveness is more important than efficiency when it comes to productivity. Essentially, when we talk about being effective at our work, it really just means knowing what we're supposed to do, what we should do, and actually doing it. This is what Paul describes in Ephesians chapter 5 when he says this, Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. If you want to be effective as a boss or as an employee or as a parent or as a student or as a friend, the key to being effective is to know what you should do and then to actually do it. And the way that we do that is through discerning the will of God. But I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. Uh, let's, Let's go ahead and look at the problem here that is facing us in the workplace. As I mentioned, there is a problem facing us. We are spending more time at work today than ever with more technology and new processes before than ever, and we're still getting less done. Why is that? Well, I think there are many reasons for why that's the case. First of all, probably the easiest one to figure out is laziness. Some of us struggle with laziness. This is the most basic, obvious reason that we don't get things done, that we're unproductive at work, because we just don't really care to get all that much done. So that's a relatively easy one to identify. Second one is a lack of clarity. Many of us are unproductive in our work because we don't really have an understanding of what we're supposed to be doing in our jobs. There's not a clear priority and there's no clear goals that are there to guide us in our work. And I'll be honest, when I moved to Spencer a couple years ago, this was certainly the case for me. Uh, I love our church I'm so thankful, continually thank God for him calling Crystal and me here. Uh, But when I was first called, it was very clear that I was a guinea pig for the multi-campus model here at Crosswinds Church. I was given a job description, but it wasn't really set in stone. And there was a lack of clarity about what I was supposed to be doing during that time. That lack of clarity came from me and it came from those other people in the church. We knew what we wanted to accomplish. We wanted a, a campus launch, but we didn't really have a roadmap on how to get there. And because we didn't have a roadmap, because we weren't clear on the way that we wanted things to work, I, I, I'm going to guess that we weren't as effective as we could have been with the launch of this campus. 
I'm not sharing that to bash this church. Again, I, I love this church. I'm sharing that because it gives us hope and encouragement that God can still use something even when it isn't as effective as it could be. Even when it is a little less productive than it could be. That's an encouragement for us as we struggle through lack of clarity in our own jobs that God can still use us. So we have laziness as a reason why we're unproductive. We have lack of clarity as a reason we're unproductive. Another thing is a uh, complete and utter overload in our society. Our society is overloaded. There is so much white noise out there that's distracting us. We are overloaded from TV. We're overloaded from social media. We're overloaded from our job expectations, our personal expectations. Many of us can probably relate to the feeling of paralysis that we get when there's so much stuff that needs to be done. We don't even know where to start. And so we are unproductive. Deuteronomy chapter 28 describes the situation many of us find ourselves in. This is chapter 28 verse 20. The Lord will send on you curses, confusion, and frustration in all that you undertake to do until you are destroyed and perish quickly on account of the evil of your deeds because you have forsaken me. Verse 28, it says this, the Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of mind. These verses here are really a continuation of Genesis chapter 3 when it talks about the fall or the way sin enters in the world and corrupts our work. Many of us have probably felt confused at work or frustrated at work. Many of us have felt like there is a madness or a blindness that is blocking us from understanding what we're supposed to do, a confusion of our minds. And a large reason for that is because, or that's one of the large reasons for unproductivity in our work. We suffer blindness because we should know what to do and we don't know what that is. Deuteronomy 28, and for that matter, all of scripture is clear. The laziness, lack of clarity, overload, all these things are problems facing us, and they're a, a big issue when it comes to making sure that we are productive in our work, making sure that we're glorifying God in our work. But they're also clear that they are not the primary cause of our problems. They are a result of an underlying issue, sin. See, the problem facing us is not ultimately a lack of time. It's not ultimately a lack of having the right technology or, or the right process in place. It's ultimately about sin. A few weeks ago, we looked at Genesis chapter 3 and the way that sin affects our work. And it saw this, it says in Genesis 3, And to Adam, he, being God, said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for you, out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Because of sin, we are frustrated in our work. This happens on a personal level. When we talk about laziness, there's no wonder that we're lazy because of the sin that has entered into our world and our society, especially our work. This also takes place on a systemic level. A lack of clarity and confusion or overload. They're not necessarily personal sins, but they're just caused by living in a sinful society. 
in a sinful world. As you can see, we have a great problem facing us. It's bigger than not having enough time. It's bigger than a lack of clarity. It's bigger than being overloaded. It's the root of all problems. And the only thing that can save us from it is the gospel. See, if the ultimate problem that facing us is sin, then the ultimate and only solution for us is Jesus and the gospel. It's only at Calvary that we are able to work productively. And because we are able to work productively at Calvary, that is where we should run to when we seek out effective work in our lives. See, the reality is, for many of us, our, we try to work for peace. We, we do the things we do on Monday through Friday to gain peace in our lives. We're frequently faced with the temptation to base our inner peace off of how much good we did or how good we did at our job the previous week. I know that I struggle with this quite a bit. Uh, I, I oftentimes base how good I feel about myself off of how much time I spent in sermon prep, how many people that I met with, how much follow-up that I did, how many administrative tasks I completed, how much leadership I was able to instill in others throughout the week. It can wreck me on the inside when I don't meet my own standard of productivity. But the gospel tells us different. The gospel tells us that we do not work for peace, we work from peace. Our justification is secure in Christ. We don't need to prove ourselves to God. We don't need to prove ourselves to anyone else because we have been given peace at the cross of Christ. And it's from there that we are able to work effectively in our callings. This is described well in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. This is a very important passage on uh, describing how the gospel transforms us, how the gospel uh, gives us peace, and how it helps us work. I'm going to just read this to you. It's, it's a little bit long, uh, but I'm just going to go ahead and read it because it's so important. It says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace, and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God created or prepared for us beforehand that we should walk in them. Such a powerful passage. I just want to take a, another look at it and see how it applies to our work, especially as we're trying to be effective in our work. But before we do that, I just want to be crystal clear on this. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 and really the atonement of Christ are not primarily about productivity in the workplace. They're primarily about God ransoming and buying back a people of God, by God, and for God. There are implications for all of life, but that is, those implications are not the primary focus of these 
passages, especially Ephesians chapter 2. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and look at the way the gospel serves us uh, and creates us and works in our lives. First, there's this phrase, we were dead. When we were ruled by sin, we were unable to work truly effectively in our lives. And we'll get at that and explain that a little bit more here in a few moments. But that's the first thing that we have to recognize from this passage. We're not able to truly work in an effective way before Christ came and rescued us from sin. So that's the first thing. Second phrase that I want to pick up on here is, but God made us alive together with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places. Because now we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places, we're now able to view work through a different lens. Not just a different lens, but the appropriate lens to approach our work. We're now able to distinguish between tasks that uh, are important and those that are less important in our lives. To know what is truly effective for us to be doing. The third thing is that last phrase, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 tells us the purpose of being a new creation, and that is to do good works with our lives. It is to be productive, it is to be profitable, to do good, and to do these things from faith. That's what the gospel has done for us. That's how the gospel solves this great problem of sin facing us in the workplace. Let's look at a couple specific ways that the gospel serves as a solution for us being unproductive. Uh, Stephen Covey, uh, he has this quote that I think is extremely, uh, extremely good. He says this, there's nothing more unproductive than doing efficiently what doesn't need to be done. There's nothing more unproductive than doing efficiently what doesn't need to be done. There's no point in being efficient if we are doing completely pointless work with our lives. That's not being productive. That's wasting our life. And I don't know if Stephen Covey is a Christian or not, but I do know that the only way for us to effectively work and effectively know what to do is through the gospel. See, there's reality is that there is nothing more unproductive for us to do with our lives than to exclude Jesus from our lives. Luke chapter 9 verse 25 says this, for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses or forfeits himself? It's completely a wasted life if we gain the world and yet we exclude Christ from our lives. As we talk about the way that the gospel solves this problem, it helps us to identify ways that we can be more productive. We come down to this principle. And it's one we're going to just focus on the rest of our time together. And that's knowing what's best next. Knowing what's best Next, being productive, being effective isn't ultimately about doing more stuff. It's about doing the most important stuff effectively. But the reality is, apart from the gospel, we can't truly understand what the most important stuff for us to be doing is. We will be effective in our jobs or we can be effective, but we won't be truly the most effective that we can be. It is only in Jesus that we will be truly effective, knowing what is best next for us to be doing. Uh, the best book on this subject is called What's Best Next. It's a great book. I encourage everyone 
to read it if you are interested in this concept of productivity. It's been extremely influential for my life, uh, for the lives of our pastors here at Crosswinds Church. Uh, as you can probably guess, it has had a lot of influence on this sermon this morning. Uh, and in this book, Matt Perman, the guy who wrote it, says that as we seek to be productive, as we seek to be effective in our lives, we have to recognize that there's a lot of good stuff out there for us to be doing. But we have to know what the best thing for us to be doing is. So what's the best thing for us to do in our work? Well, the answer comes through biblical wisdom. First Chronicles chapter 12 says this, of Issachar, men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. And, and my prayer is that we as a church would be like the men of Issachar, knowing, understanding the times, understanding our roles and the places where God has us and knowing what to do from that place. Just like the men of Issachar, that we would be filled with the Spirit of God, seeking after effectiveness over efficiency. Now you might be wondering, okay, well, how do I discern what's best next? That's what we're going to explore, explore the rest of our time together. But before I do that, just, just one final note on why it's only through a gospel-shaped worldview that we can be truly uh, effective and to truly understand what's best next. There's this book out there called The Call by Oz Guinness. And in this book, he tells us that every single Christian on the face of the planet has two callings. Every one of us has a primary calling and a secondary calling. And for each of us, our primary calling is worked out through our secondary calling. The primary calling of every Christian is the proclamation of the gospel and the expansion of the kingdom of God by loving God and loving others. I would add to that that the concept of loving God and loving others is actually the primary calling of every single person on the face of the planet, whether they're a Christian or not, even if they don't recognize it or know it. That is the thing that all of us are called to do, is to love God and to love others. Regardless of where we are spiritually, that is God's calling for our lives, whether we refuse to accept it or not. But our secondary calling is the way that we work out our primary calling. So our secondary calling is going to be drastically different from person to person. So my secondary calling is to serve as the campus pastor of Crosswinds Church's Spencer campus. For some of you, your secondary calling is to be a farmer or is to be a stay-at-home mother or a teacher or in the medical field or as a mechanic or in business. It varies greatly from person to person, but the primary calling, the calling to love God, to love others, remains the same. That's how this applies to understanding what's best next. Those who are outside of the church don't recognize what their primary calling in their lives are. And without understanding your primary calling, you might be effective in your work, but you're not going to be as effective as you could be with your life. We must understand our primary calling and the ways that our primary calling works out through our secondary calling. It is only through the gospel that we're truly under, able to understand what comes best and what, what we should be doing next. Because in the gospel, we understand what's most important in our lives. So how do we discern what's best next? How do, how do we do this? Uh, remember, we're, we're asking this question not for productivity's sake, but we're asking this through the lens of Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. The more productive we are, the more worship God receives. And so with 
that ultimate purpose in mind, I want you to grab the uh, insert in your bulletin that says uh, discerning and doing what's best next. And that's what we're going to be going through the rest of our time together. Um, I I took this uh, primarily from Matt Perman's book. It's, again, a a great book. And that's what we're going to work our way through this morning. As you see at the top, there's this acronym, DARE. And this is an easy way for us to remember uh, how to seek out gospel-centered productivity in our lives. So first, D, define. In order for us to understand what we should be doing with our lives, we have to define our calling. We have to define our personal mission. We have to be effective. Uh, this is how, what we have to do to be effective in our vocation. So one of the questions to ask yourself is, what is my personal mission? Uh, most of us will have personal missions that are uh, centered around Matthew chapter 28, uh, the Great Commission, uh, to go and make disciples of all nations. Some of us will have a personal mission that is based off of Matthew 5, 16, to be a light in this world. Others of us will have a personal mission that is based off of the command uh, to love God and to love others. We have to spend the time to define that personal mission influenced by our primary calling. After that, we have to ask the question, well, what's my specific calling? How does my primary calling work itself out in my specific calling, my secondary calling that God has in my life? So those are the two important questions we have to ask. Now, there's going to be another really important question, and that is, what are my roles? Each of us has different roles. Think of these as the different hats that you wear in your life. And so, uh, for example, when I'm at work, I have five primary different roles. I have the role of uh, pastor, preacher, leader, missionary, and administrator. Okay? Those are the five things that I, I try to, to look at my work through those lenses. And if it doesn't fit into one of those five categories well, then that's probably my first filter that I probably don't need to be doing it. Pastor, preacher, leader, administrator, or ministry, uh, missionary. Those are the five ways that I look at my work. So ask yourself, what are your roles? What are the different roles or, or hats that you wear at work? Take a look at your job description or your own personal expectations for yourself and design your roles. Do this for your personal life as well to give yourself a good balance. For me, my personal life roles are individual, family, and steward. Individual consists of like Bible reading and, and uh, exercise, those kind of things, um, Family consists of Crystal and Silas and Stuart is like taking care of the house, fixing up the house, that kind of stuff. Take the time to define your roles because this is crucial for knowing how to be effective in your life. So that's D, define. A is architect. After you have your roles defined, your personal mission defined, your, your calling defined, uh, it's time to structure what your work will look like work up what your ideal work, uh, what your ideal week will be on a schedule. And the best way to do this is through a time map. Um, I mentioned that I have eight different roles, uh, if you include personal and work. And what I do is I map out a week, a general, typical week. This isn't ever going to um, be what my week looks like, but this is the ideal week. And I start the day at, I think, 4.30 in the morning, and go until like 10 at night. And I, I divide it up into 15-minute chunks of time. And every single 15-minute chunk of time 
is assigned to one of my roles. So if it is an administrator, or if it's a pastor uh, chunk of time, I'm not going to be doing administrative tasks. If it is a family chunk of time, I'm not going to be doing work tasks. This is very important to work out balance in your life and to structure the way things are going to do. Now, when I say uh, 15 minute chunks of time, you might be saying, well, that is absolutely crazy. No one in their right mind would be doing that. What are you talking about, Jordan? And I, I agree, maybe that's a little much for you. Maybe you just want to do half an hour. Uh, maybe you don't want to start it at 4.30. Uh, maybe you want to start it a little later than that. that that's fine. Um, but it's important to do this and, and just to do it like once a year. Again, this isn't going to be perfect every single week, but it's a good way to, to begin the process of knowing how you can be effective in your life. Another way uh, to, to architect or to structure your life is through getting the right routines on track. Make sure you have the right rut- routines going on in your life. These could be things like getting up early, as you can probably guess, that's one of mine. Uh, getting up early, uh, pr- being consistent in prayer and Bible reading, uh, having a weekly flow, a daily flow, uh, doing things like that. George Washington was extremely productive, and he never had a task list. He never had uh, a checklist that he tried to work off of. He just had his routine. And he would follow it every day, and he accomplished a great deal of things, as we can probably imagine. So that's A, architect. R, reduce. Because we're finite, we're not going to be able to do everything that we would desire to do with our lives. So it's important for us to reduce our workload. And the way that we do that is really through two primary things. Delegation, uh, to hand the ball off to someone else, if you're able to do that, or elimination. Just get rid of the task if it's not worth doing itself. So that's your R. And finally, E is for execute. And this is where the rubber of D-A-R hits the road of actually being productive. And this is where you take the time each week at the beginning of the week, sit down and just plan out your week, how things are going to go. Another good uh, word of advice is to not overschedule your days. Uh, we have a tendency to think that we can get a lot more done than we actually can. And so set yourself at a 70% capacity for your work. That will help you a great deal in making sure that uh, you don't you know, feel guilty about being uh, less productive than you would desire. D, define, A, architect, R, uh, reduce, E, execute. These four principles are crucial for helping us be effective in our work. And as I said at the beginning, effective work is God-glorifying work. The way that we glorify God in our work is by being effective in it. Matthew 5, verse 16, helps us as we view our purpose for work. This is why God uh, looks at work and it matters to him, but not just work matters to him, but also how we work And also, what we do while we work matters to God. Effective work, productive work, is God-glorifying work. And I just want to take a a second and just think about what it would be like if our church actually did this. If we committed to being effective in our work, working for the glory of God by being more productive in our lives. First of all, I think we'd be a lot better at our jobs. I'm not saying that we're bad at our jobs. It's not what I'm saying at all. Uh, but we would be much more effective in the things that we are doing, not sidetracked by lesser things or focused because we're focused on the main things. Second, I think there'd be more joy in our lives. 
We wouldn't be placing our uh, meaning, our worth, our inner peace in our accomplishments at work, but we'd instead be placing them in Christ Jesus. And third, I think we'd be able to rest a lot more. The beauty of being effective at work is it helps you to be restful. Restfulness and effectiveness go hand in hand, providing us with more time for family, more time for leisure, more time for the kingdom of God. And so as we close, I just want to encourage you to be productive at work, to be doing what's best next with your lives, and to strive to be effective, that God would receive glory. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this, uh, this book, for the words of Scripture and how they touch on literally every area of our lives. And God, I just ask that you would help us to discern what you are calling us to do with our lives, each of us individually and us as a church, that you would be glorified through us. God, it is our desire that we would glorify you in all that we do. And God, as we continue worshiping you, we pray that that would be the case. As we go out our work weeks, that we pray that that would be the case. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Jordan's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.